Welcome to our evening service tonight. We're going to begin, please, number 604, asking this question, who is on the Lord's side? Well, let's stand, please, as we worship Him tonight. Let's come, please, now to the Lord in prayer, committing our evening service to Him. 
Our loving God and Father, we bow humbly in Jesus' name again tonight. And dear Father, we are thankful for the privilege that's given to us once more to be in the place of prayer in this house of worship and thanksgiving. And Father, at the very beginning, we come to ask for the much-needed help of the Holy Spirit in our service, enabling us to sing with our hearts and whatever voices we can, and lifting our praise in our spirits, thanksgiving to the God who has done all for us. And dear Father, I pray tonight that as we come to seek Your holy name, face, that our hearts would be in the right place that we, O Lord, would be in tune, walking humbly and according to the Scripture, that, Father, the work that has been done in us already by grace, that we would see this developing, growing day by day, and even through this time of gathering tonight, in what has been called a means of grace around the Scripture, open prayer, the Word of God, fellowshipping one with another. Dear Lord, all of these things are, are simple in one hand, but we know that they are the very core, kernel of the New Testament church, and we are very thankful, Lord, that you place within our heart a desire to follow in the pattern that has been revealed through the Word. And Lord, you have given us a heart to follow after your things earnestly. And I rejoice, Lord, in this congregation. Believers are here because they want to be. They're here because they love the Savior. Here because they want to be fed from the Scriptures of truth. Lord, I pray that there would be an abundant supply given and received. Strengthen us, we pray, with might in the inner man. Lord, teach us what it means to die unto ourselves. We may live unto righteousness and to the end everlasting life. Fill our hearts with great joy and, Father, the anticipation of what will do, what will happen in the future as we progress on in the service of Christ, and how, Lord, you will save precious souls and see them built up most holy faith. And, dear Lord, that next generation coming will grow and grow and develop to be a living witness in our time. Father, use us, we pray, to this very end. We don't want to fizzle out we don't want, Lord, the work of God to come to nothing here. But our constant prayer is to raise up a generation of young men and young women who fear God with all their hearts, men and women of prayer, of conviction, standing firmly upon the word of truth. And dear God, hear 
and answer our prayers tonight. Bless our congregation and every family. Let no one be left on the outside. Unite us all in the bond of love and peace. And give to us, Lord, we pray, that blessed and holy unity in the Spirit of God. Help us in our outreach. Bless us, we pray, Father, in personal witnessing. Make us soul winners, we pray. We think of friends and neighbors and most definitely family members that are witness too. And here, God, do a great, do a lasting work, we ask. Remember our land tonight. Remember the need of our nation. Give us, we pray, God-fearing leaders. Give to us people who will be directed by the Spirit of God. And dear Father, restrain the ungodly. Rebuke the proud, the arrogant, the time-serving politicians. And dear God, have mercy upon us. I know, Lord, it seems the government we have is what the nation deserves. But in wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Revive the church of Christ. Fill us all with the Spirit of the Lord to be a light in our day, in our time. So hear this prayer. And again, we ask for believers across the world who are suffering tonight because they name the name of Jesus. Please, Father, draw near to them Encourage their hearts, give them strength to stand and endure the fight of great affliction. Help us, Lord, we pray, to remember them, hold them up as bound with them. And dear Lord, that we will be found to be soldiers of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and to endure hardness as good soldiers of Christ. Hear our prayer tonight, Father, and receive our thanksgiving for our time of gathering together. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Number 673. Let's stand together again as we sing this hymn.
Returning, please, in our Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is the seventh of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and their strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, 
and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. May the Lord give us understanding in His Word and bless His truth to us. And where we say we do not quite have clarity in some of these matters, we will bring ourselves again to the Lord and humble in humility and say, Lord, we need more light. And that's never a bad thing to pray. When we come to the Scripture, Lord, we need more light, more understanding, more clarity. Some things are given to us that are clear, and other things, well, they fit into the prophetical range. And when they're in that range, it becomes even more challenging, we could say, to keep them in the right order, and to pray that God will give us that necessary wisdom and light from heaven. We pray that will be the case as we continue in our study, as the book of Daniel has great relevance along with the book of Revelation, and we will see as we continue in the study of His Word. It's good to see you all here tonight, and we certainly give you a warm word of welcome. We're glad that you're here. I must apologize to Mr. DiDerno, to his dear wife Clarissa. I missed them this morning. They were in the service, and uh, we certainly welcome you folks again to the evening service tonight. We're happy that you're here. And any others, I might not have your name, but I want you to know you're very, very welcome in the name of the Savior and those viewing our service online tonight as well. May God bless you all. Remember, please, in prayer, as we have been, the persecuted church and the believers and Christians in Ukraine and the situation there, we do not want to forget that. Remember also, please, Brother John Bodner in your prayer as he is facing treatment for cancer coming up very, very soon. Remember in prayer the ministry of this incoming week. We have a, another busy time in front of us. We enjoyed this afternoon the session and board prayer time at 4.50. And again, it was a great encouragement to hear these men laying hold upon God and praying for you, for the congregation, for the needs of this church. And it is a great blessing. The church of Jesus Christ will go forward on its knees in prayer. And that is what we are taught in the Scripture, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, very clear about that, and how that it was a key factor and feature 
of the praying that was so essential. Sadly, in times when churches seem to drift away and go off into apostasy, it doesn't happen overnight. But it does happen after a period of time where it seems the the prayer meeting, that place is set aside or at least not put in the primary place. Well, in our, our fellowship, we want that to be always the case. We, we want to be seeking the Lord with our hearts, and uh, you join with us in that matter and be sure that you are represented or your family always at the prayer meeting. Wednesday evening, our midweek time of prayer and Bible study will be at 7.30, and we will be having a Sunday school teacher's prayer time Uh, during our prayer time then, and so we encourage all of our Sunday school staff to be along specifically for prayer on Wednesday evening. And then our Lord's Day services next week, we'll be meeting around the Lord's table for communion after the morning service, and we have the joy looking forward to welcoming in four new members into our congregation, our fellowship, and so please keep these services in your prayers A couple of advance announcements. One of them has to do with May the 6th, which is a Sunday school prayer, pardon me, Sunday school training seminar, and that will be at 7 o'clock on a Friday night. And for all folks who are interested, young people more especially, who would like to get involved in Sunday school work, you come along. You don't have to commit yourself to it per se. Just if you have any interest, you're very, very welcome to come along to that particular introduction training seminar. Do keep in mind, please, our minister and elder presbytery in prayer time, and then also our National Day of Prayer on May the 22nd, Lord's Day afternoon. Let's keep all of these ministries in prayer. The Lord will go in front of us and show us His leading in all things. We'll sing again now. Number 604, forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Remaining seated while we sing. verses and really lift our voices and our hearts to the Lord in praise. 
You are singing well again tonight to the Lord's praise, and it's great to hear the people of God praising their Savior. Please turn with me again to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. If you are visiting to our congregation or perhaps new online, well, we have been progressing through a study of the book of Daniel and the life of God's prophet. We are in the second chapter and reading from verse 31 tonight down to 45. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon its feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Pausing there for one moment, we are not told to begin with that when Daniel was taken in before King Nebuchadnezzar to interpret, to give the dream first of all, and then the interpretation that there was anyone with him. But the inclusion here that Daniel makes, it indicates that it may well be his three friends that had been with him in prayer, intently praying for God to give them light. Were we not just talking about that? The necessity of praying for light from heaven, that's what they were doing. They said, Lord, we need light, we need wisdom. And it may well be that Daniel had them with him as he said that we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thy hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee 
shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. We'll ask for the Lord's help now in prayer as we come to His Word. Father, we ask now, as we have your holy word open, we are praying for insight and for help, for clarity, that we will put line upon line and precept upon precept. We will, Lord, carefully diligently piece together what we can, and every step at every move, praying that we will have wisdom from heaven, the help of the Spirit. Lord, I ask for that tonight in the delivery of the Word and in all the times of preparation. Bless the Word to every believer tonight. Father, may, may there be a word 
here for someone who is not saved, someone who has not come to Christ yet. Father, speak on, we pray. So hear us now. Give strength and understanding. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We read these verses the last time we were at our study two Lord's Days ago. And tonight I want to leave with you the title of this message is simply Christ's Eternal Kingdom. You know, when a person affirms their belief that there is a God in heaven that knows all things right down to the hidden secrets of the heart, it is, in a sense, a confession of that person's faith in the unseen Maker of heaven and of earth. This God is the God whom Daniel worshipped with all his heart. He had seen the face of the Lord by faith and had no fear of the face of man. The Lord's light was shining brightly through him, and he spoke with assurance that what he said was the Word of God to be heeded. The clarity, the authority that God's servant spoke was nothing other than a man who had heard from God and was now communicating that word to men. In our last study, we dealt with the unfolding drama of Daniel being taken to Nebuchadnezzar and revealing the dream and what it meant. I could imagine in my mind what that scene would be like. Could you see Nebuchadnezzar sitting there, spellbound, as this Jewish slave systematically placed before him in precise detail exactly the dream that this man had? How would he know that? Is that not the thought going through Nebuchadnezzar's mind? Because as Daniel was revealing it, you can be certain of this, that at that point Nebuchadnezzar realized, yes, one, two, three, four, that's exactly what I dreamed. It had now come back to him with clarity. How would this man know this? He was spellbound before this Jewish slave as he gave him these things with direct clarity. And Daniel instructed him. Keep this in mind, too. We are dealing with the most powerful tyrant that all the world had ever known in Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't get told things very easily. He is the one who does the telling and the commanding and the cutting off of the head. And so here is this slave now before him instructing him 
as to what will happen and what will come to pass. Because the God of heaven had chosen to show to this king what shall be in the latter days. This was the purpose of this dream. It was revealed prophecy, but not simply of some political victory of one kingdom over another kingdom, but it spanned all of human history near in the days of Neb, Euchanezer, and then also in the distant time. And in very mysterious figures, images, pictures, told of a kingdom far greater and exceedingly more powerful than Babylon or any other human empire for the fifth kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar was told about was not a kingdom of man nor of this world, but it was divine. The God of heaven showed this heathen king what would come to pass hereafter. That is, starting in the days of the king of Babylon and working through the empires that would be put in place after him, leading right down to the time of Messiah's entrance into the world and right down to the end of time. This was staggering. And Daniel is now telling this king, instructing him, the God of heaven has shown to you what will come to pass. I want us to think tonight, coming back to this dream, we really scratched the surface of it two weeks ago, but I want to come back to the details of this dream. And the first point I leave with you tonight is the revelation of this dream as it related to God's eternal kingdom. The dream revealed a great image. And on the screen behind me, you will see a caricature, an illustration. Maybe it will be helpful for, uh, for us to get into our minds perhaps something of what this may have looked like. We are told in verse number 31 that thou, king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent or exceedingly fair that stood before you, and the form thereof was terrifying. It was terrible. Terrible in the image that it portrayed, Terrible, perhaps, in the fierceness of the face that was inscripted upon this head of gold. The whole thing was majestic, 
terrifying, fearful. It had a head of gold and breast and arms of silver, belly and legs of thigh, thigh, belly and thigh of brass, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. The basic interpretation of this dream is given to us from verses 36 to 45, which we have already read tonight. The four sections of this image, they represent four kingdoms. And the first one is the head of gold. In verse 38, as Daniel informs Nebuchadnezzar that God made him a king of kings with great power and glory over all the places where men dwell. Now this means, this means that he would have authority over all the kingdoms of the inhabited and organized world. Then very specifically, at the end of verse 38, he said to Nebuchadnezzar, Thou art this head of gold. So that's absolutely clear for us to understand that Nebuchadnezzar was pictured in that dream that he saw. Now, when we know that Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, we can say that synonymously, when Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, it's obvious that Babylon, the empire, is the head of gold. And as history has proven this point, it was, that is, Babylon was the first world empire which had domination over all other nations. So that was the very first part that was revealed to this king. The second section of the image was the breast and the arms of silver. It represented the power that defeated Babylon. Now, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, who was called Belshazzar, had taken over from his father, technically his grandfather, and Belshazzar basked in the, in the glory of Babylon. He basked in the security, and if you like, the almighty power that Babylon had in the world at that time. It was invincible. Babylon was the Titanic of the day. It was unsinkable, or so he thought. In chapter 5, if you turn there in your Bible, in chapter 5, Belshazzar was partying, and he knew how to do this well. He was drinking himself drunk in the palace, but the vessels he drank from were not ordinary. They were the vessels 
that Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, had taken from Jerusalem from the temple itself, the golden vessels. And so they had been kept as sort of an emblem of victory, I suppose, by Nebuchadnezzar in the palace. And Belshazzar now thinks, well, we're going to have a party and use these vessels. And so he is drinking them with them, and he is drunk. That is, until he saw a man's hand write something on the wall of the palace where they were. And the writing stayed there. And what happened to Belshazzar? He was sobered very quickly. And in his sobering with quickness, he was stricken with terror. He couldn't understand the writing. None of the magicians or the people in Babylon could understand the writing And so, you know what happened. It defaulted back to find who was the only guy in the whole kingdom that could do this. And Daniel, now an aged man, rises to the surface and is brought in to interpret the writing on the wall. Notice, please, verse 26 of chapter 5. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots of the kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou hast made known that the heavens do rule. My apologies, I'm reading chapter 4. I better get to chapter 5 and verse 26. That's where we want to be. Verse 25, first of all. And this is the writing that was written. Mine, mine, tikel upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mine, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikel, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. We will look at this in more detail when we come to chapter 5, but I give it to you tonight specifically because you will notice that in verse 28 it clearly says that thy kingdom, Babylon, is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So the kingdom that's following right after Babylon is the silver of the image that was seen in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, that's very clear. And there's no misunderstanding that can be taken so far. We move to the third section, and it is the belly and the thighs of brass or of bronze. In chapter 8 and verses 20 and 21, in further visions that Daniel had, we are given the interpretation of those visions and they link up with the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. And the interpretation is given of two beasts. And there is a ram 
that is identified as the Medo-Persian Empire. And then we have a rough goat that was the first king of Grecia, of Greece, Greece. It is commonly accepted that the third part of Nebuchadnezzar's image, the belly and the thighs of bronze, was the Grecian Empire. And history clearly records that Alexander the Great was the first king of that empire that defeated the Medes and the Persians. The fourth part of Nebuchadnezzar's image, the legs of iron and the feet that are part of iron and part of clay. The most controversial kingdom to be identified is the last one here, because it is not specifically named in the Bible as being that fourth part of Nebuchadnezzar's image. But that does not mean there is not convincing evidence for its identification, though there are differences among commentators as is not uncommon. Now, for example, the Reformers, to mention but two of them, Luther and Calvin, they identify the fourth kingdom as the Roman Empire. This is the most widely held position today. E.J. Young, in his excellent commentary on the book of Daniel, also held the view that it was the Roman Empire. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago, another commentator by the name of Otto Zockler, he actually believed that the Fourth Empire was made up of a division between the Grecian Empire that happened after Alexander the Great. So that just gives you an indication that there are some differences, and not all folks will agree on that. There is further disagreement as to whether the feet, partly of iron and partly of clay, are part of the fourth empire, or do they represent um, another aspect of it, of a partly revived Roman empire? Well, we will get into that in a, at a later time, another message. Now, I want to come tonight to the most important part of this dream as God revealed it, what He was doing in human history. And this relates to the stone that is spoken of in verse 34, first of all, coming back to chapter 2. Daniel said to the king, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces. And what happened after that? 
the image that was broken at the feet, it crumbled and fell down, and the entire image was broken and shattered. And it was so broken in pieces that it became like, well, it's described as the summer or the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And it was blown apart so far that you could not even tell where the remains of that were residing. So the question comes to us now, who or what this stone represents? It's the hinge of the whole revelation because it is directly related to the God of heaven setting up an eternal kingdom. And how that comes together and is told us, we turn to chapter 2 and verses 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. So we have thought tonight so far of the revelation of the dream as it relates to God's eternal kingdom. The second main point I leave with you tonight is to simply look at the stone that was cut out without hands. What is this? Who is this? Well, the first thing that comes to us from the text, both in chapter th- in verse 34 and in verses 44 and 45, is that this stone has a supernatural characteristic. Because we are told that it was cut out of a mountain without hands. Now, we we understand and know that God is giving this dream to this king, and it is full of pictures. It is full of typology. And so, when we look at this stone that was cut out, something significant is told. It was not of man. It was cut out without the use of hands. This is something that is supernatural. Now, we know and are told that Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 that when Israel was in the wilderness and they were given water to drink, that water came out of a rock that Moses had smitten. And Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 10.4, that rock was Christ. So we are told very clearly of the 
import from Scripture of how God is making known to us the rock of our salvation. Jesus Christ is the rock that has provided for His people. He is the foundation stone. Then we think about Psalm 18 and verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, so David said. And we have prayed over that psalm many times. And we have found great comfort and solace in the fact that we rest upon the rock of our salvation. Perhaps one of the greatest references we have in Matthew 16, verse 18, where Jesus said these words, Upon this rock I will build my church. And He is speaking there about Himself. This stone, cut out without hands, shows that it was not of ordinary origin. It was not man-made. And so Christ Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth, full of power, when He was supernaturally born of a virgin, God the Father gave to the world a Savior who came to deliver men from sin and misery and to give the gift of everlasting life. But in His work of redemption, He faced Satan head on, and He defeated him and overthrew all His enemies. Yes, my friend, the kingdom of Messiah is the fifth kingdom that is mentioned here in this vision and dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw. And for everyone who believes and receives Christ Jesus, they know their salvation is all of grace, which incidentally stands for the number five in Scripture. And this everlasting kingdom that Daniel spoke of, that will never be destroyed, was that fifth kingdom. Albert Barnes, the commentator, referring to the stone cut out without hands, said this, that there is reference to the kingdom of Messiah cannot be reasonably doubted. The kingdom of Messiah would have a supernatural origin. Its beginnings would be unlike what is unusually seen among men, usually seen among men. How appropriately this applies to the kingdom of the Messiah as having its origin not in human power, it need not be stated. Nothing is more apparent, nothing is more frequently dwelt on in the New Testament than that it had a heavenly origin. It did not owe its beginning to human plans, counsels, or power. And so this stone cut out without hands, is a super of supernatural origin, and it's the beginning of God's everlasting kingdom. But I want you to notice also that this 
really indicates to us something relatively small at the first. I think of Isaiah 53. We're told there, who shall declare his generation? That was the word of the prophet speaking about the coming of Christ Jesus, the Messiah. He will be, well, one who is not noticed to begin with, very small. The beginnings would start off without much fanfare. And the beginning of the kingdom of Christ, though, at the very commencement, it toppled the devil's kingdom. Because when Christ was crucified, when He was right at the edge of that time, He said these words, Now is the prince of this world cast out. And that stone that came down from the mountain and smashed the feet of this massive image is none other friend than our Lord and Savior who by His coming and by the advancement of His kingdom struck at the very foundation of the satanic powers of this world. You think about this, the beginnings being small from the New Testament church, and you consider the disciples as they were starting out. Well, they didn't have money. They weren't financed by great resources. They did not have political power. They didn't have military might. And yet they overturned Jerusalem with their doctrine And as it spread, it spread throughout the world. And in that sense, the gospel is the power that went forward, laying the foundation work of this everlasting kingdom that is being spoken about. It grew, did it not? It grew, and it grew, and it grew. And so we have the identification of that stone But I want you to notice in the third place tonight the unstoppable nature of the kingdom of Christ. For this stone that became a great mountain after that, and it filled the whole earth. Verse 35 tells us that. So you think about the growth of this stone and how Christ Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what the kingdoms of this world and the empires, and Satan tries to, how he tries to stop the Lord's work, how he has tried to burn it, how he has tried to infiltrate it, how he has tried with false doctrine and teaching to overturn it. But God's kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue on. Its growth will be as a great mountain that will fill the entire world. You could see that from the beginning in Acts. It was beginning, it was starting, it was progressing. But now today the gospel is on every continent of this globe. And the Word of God is being preached in every sector. And much more now so as we come nearing the end of time. The Word of God has gone out through the airwaves 
to every sector and corner of this globe. Yes, God's kingdom is and has become a great mountain. Now, in one sense, you might think, well, I don't really see the great victory of the church today. I see the church seemingly more defeated or small or cast down. And on the surface, that may be the appearance, friend. But I can assure you on the authority of God's Word that Christ's gospel and His kingdom is victorious, and it will rule and reign. And when Christ comes back to this world, He will overturn every enemy. Because not only is its growth very impressive, but the ultimate victory of this kingdom. The religions of men, they will all fall before Christ and His church. And when our Lord Jesus comes back to this world again, men will cry to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of the Lamb, the King of Kings. E.J. Young commented further, he said, the kingdom of God will completely triumph and the kingdom of men shall be completely destroyed. And so the hymn writer wrote, the church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale, against the foe and traitor she ever shall prevail. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ tonight, the victory of the kingdom of Christ, it is certain. It cannot be overturned. Are we today living in that victory? I wonder, friend, today, are you in that kingdom? Do you know Christ as your own? Has the gospel penetrated into your heart? Has the great stone of Christ come to take over your life? Have you placed yourself among the rock of your salvation? Have you received and believed in Him as we were thinking about this morning? Because the only way that a man or a woman can become right with God in heaven is to know that their sins have been washed away by the precious blood of Christ. And that's the way that you will enter into the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of our God. It's not by your good works. It's not by your upbringing. It's certainly not by attending church. It's only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the answer to the sinful needs of every single person. I leave with you in the fourth place tonight the eternal kingdom of Christ. In verse 44, we are told it shall never be destroyed. There are some verses in the Bible that give us comfort. There are some verses that give us a little more comfort. And then there are some that give us 
resounding comfort and confidence, and this is one of them, because we are told it does not matter what the devil does. It does not matter what the kingdoms of this world hope to accomplish. There is one thing that is absolutely certain. My Lord has a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Be confident of that tonight, dear brother and sister in Christ. Though from the beginning Satan has tried to destroy, and every angle he's tried to overturn the work of God, and everything that the Lord calls good and righteous and holy and true, what does the devil do? He comes along and says, it's not righteous, it's not good, it's not true. And he will be at that game right to the very end. Satan calls and tries to counterfeit the true currency of the bank of heaven. But he will not be able to fulfill his cause. Not only will the kingdom of Christ be victorious, there is never a fear that it will ever be overturned because it is an everlasting kingdom. And it's so difficult for us with our finite minds to comprehend eternity. But it is the truth of God. And He has made that known to His redeemed people. We sang today, Who is on the Lord's side? And all those who are blood-bought and spirit-born, they are on the Lord's side. And we are standing for our King. The Geneva Study Bible had this comment about this text, and the stone and the everlasting kingdom, meaning Christ who was sent by God and not set up by man, whose kingdom at the beginning would be small, and without beauty to man's judgment, but would at length grow and fill the whole earth, which he calls a great mountain. And this kingdom, which is not only referred to the person of Christ, but also to the whole body of his church and to every member of it, will be eternal for the Spirit that is in them is eternal life. Ah, that is put so well by those who were the translators of the Geneva Bible and uh, the notes that they had in that Bible in the margin. Well, they were hated by the kings of England for the most part, but they were loved by those who were the reformers and those who were the lovers of truth. And if you ever have an opportunity, get a hold of a Geneva Bible and read it. It's a good translation, and the notes in it are worth the purchase of it, or I'm sure you can download it as well. But they acknowledge clearly that this everlasting kingdom is none other but the kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom that you and I are in. And every believer, every blood-bought child of God, that's our kingdom, and we are in it. And we are to live in the victory of it. And I close tonight leaving with you these four, three simple conclusions, asking this question, are you on the side of Christ tonight? Are you in His kingdom? Only you can answer that question. 
and you do so quietly and privately in your own heart. And if not, friend, then I say to you, call out to the Lord right where you are, online, at your home. Maybe you've come in tonight to this church. I say to you, call out to Jesus. You want to be on the Lord's side and in His kingdom. And are you living today for the extension of that kingdom that shall stand forever and forever? Because that's at the heart of every child of the kingdom. It's to see it expanded and to see our service in it for the glory of the King. And the King is not Nebuchadnezzar, I assure you. The King is our risen Lord and Savior. I pray that all of us will be active with Him and for Him in His everlasting kingdom and be waiting and expecting the soon return of our Lord and Savior. We'll bow, please, in prayer. Father, give us, we pray, understanding in the Word. Give us clarity. Help us to understand the places that are sometimes hard. But I ask tonight, Lord, that some soul will be brought into this everlasting kingdom by faith, and that Your Spirit would work effectually in every heart. Hear our prayers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn in closing now. Number 22, 221, the church's one foundation. We'll stand, please, and we'll sing verses 1, 2, and then 4 and 6.
Father, help us, we pray, in our day-to-day walk of faith to follow very close, to know the Savior at our right hand, and that we will be a light and salt in these dark, difficult days. I pray, Lord, now that you would part us in the joy and peace of our God, and that as we separate one from another, we will know, Lord, until we meet again, either here on earth or in glory, we will know the joy and the victory of our risen and soon-coming King. Hear our prayers, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.